Cheers. Cheers. Two bottles. <laughs> Two bottles in episode fourteen coming at you. <laughs> oh, no, you did not. Just I say did that. because it is Eurovision night and I had to be cheesy. That's what I do. Yes, we're coming to you from Victor's bedroom on a rainy, miserable Saturday afternoon. But it's Eurovision tonight, so <laughs> yay! Yay, gay Christmas! I'm the only. Oh no. I'm the other gay that doesn't like Eurovision. Yes, we'll talk about that in a bit. So let's get on to the fact we do have another fabulous special guest with us this evening. A very, 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 very And we are guest. very, very honoured to have one of our amazing friends with us tonight. Uh, the lovely Mark Thompson is with us. Hey, children. Hey, Dean. <laughs> That's the best time. <laughs> so far, I'm all our guests. That's the best. Way to introduce us. Hi, children. Love it. That the is end. the way to do the it. End. I'm right, done. We're done. I'm in the house. I think I'm like three glasses and a half in. At the Which moment. is kind of a bottle. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah so, it's a bottle. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay. Happy the whole premise, you know, that we're just. The, it's, the mental cool stylings of Mark Thompson. <laughs> well, I mean, I've got to be honest, it's kind of surreal because I've not seen you both for ages. I know, yeah. And I'm sitting in Vixie's bedroom <laughs> having a glass of Prosecco. How twisted and weird is that? But I'm so Oh, it's like happy. nothing's ever changed. It, right, exactly. It's, it's the same as it was. The last time I saw it was in Vixie's bedroom, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we'd had a few drinks. You know. Well, you know, no judgment. No matter we how you tell judge. the story, it's going to We'd had a few drinks. It was raining outside. We were just like, let's go to the bedroom. It was Eurovision. <laughs> no, that part of the story is not true. That's not going to work. No. Oh, whatever. So, so let's 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 tell the listeners how we know Mark. Well, I think I've known you the longest, mm. which again, no surprise. Because um, I seem to know everybody through you. So we worked together at. Oh, should we just say Sex the name? Charity. We never say the name. We worked together at Terence Higgins Trust. <laughs> sue me. Um, <laughs> And I don't know when... We started working together at THT in 2004, when I started working there. Oh, that was a programme officer, a programme manager, and you were working on Young Gay Men's Work. Yes. And we would work there together for oh, seven years, till 2011. Yes, yes. That and then I met you, Vix, in about, probably about, when did you start? I started 2007. Yeah. So... And we, yeah, you started then. Yeah. Um, and that's how the And it all happened... Up. Yeah, and we did a lot of work together. Yeah. We worked on campaigns, Mm -hmm. national health promotion campaigns. And, um, yeah, and we (laughs) worked well together and we had to deal with some... Challenges. 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 That's a beautiful way of saying. But I always called it the kind of golden (laughs) age of health promotion. I totally agree. I was just going to say, I think those years when we were all together, like... They were amazing, and like you say, we did go through some really hard times, but we went through them together, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and it was really tough. When... And we worked well together, and yeah. like, you know, when it's good when you can finish each other's sentences, <laughs> or Mark can come up to my desk and be like, oh, you know that thing? I'm like, it's done. <laughs> it's fine. And what happened, we'll at, sort it out. what happened at Friday at four, usually? It was what? Like... <laughs> Uh, well, like Mariah t- Hour. Mariah Hour. <laughs> Give me that Mariah. Oh my god! <laughs> Give me that Mariah. I can't do it. I don't Give me that Mariah. <laughs> <laughs> the end. That's the end of the podcast. We got the we got the impression. Oh my yeah. god! Chair dancing. We used to do some chair dancing. Oh yes, we yeah. had strutting in the office yeah. and, and Vixen Black Inches. 
Oh, I didn't know whether that was going to come up or not. Yeah, I knew it, it was going to come up. Yeah, just, oh. just Google it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, Mark Thompson, who apparently called himself my friend, was telling me that there's a really nice site with some lovely black puppies on it. And I and went, oh, put in black inches. Is that what you said it was? Yeah, basically. Yeah, you said it was dogs. Yeah, but, and you fell for that? Yeah, well. Um, <laughs> well, in friendship, there's this thing called trust, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> about that. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> anyway, so we've all moved on from, from that yeah, time yeah. together and there's been a lot of things that we've all done and achieved. And I think, Mark, you have had an incredible journey mm. from when we did work together to where you are now and the things that you have done, the incredible things you've achieved. And I think, you know, Philip and I have always been really keen to have you on this podcast because it is something for us that we're so proud of you and so, so honoured to know someone oh. who's achieved so much. We've always talked about it, drunk or not. <laughs> we've always said how proud we are of you. No, oh. it's true. It's true. Best manager I've ever had. <laughs> um, but yeah, it felt like maybe you were confined a bit uh-huh. at THC and you wanted to create your own journey and story. Mm. And and you've got only you've done that and some of the work. I mean, we can't... <laughs> we need to talk about what that is. Yes, and we will do. Um, but um, now it feels like you're doing something you're really passionate about. Yeah, I mean, THT, I mean, my work that I did during that time and all the work that I did from, you know, throughout my career has kind of led to where I am now. Yeah. I've always seen everything I do as a progression and a stepping stone, even subconsciously, to where I've moved to. You know, I've always evolved and just, just been really keen to be involved in exciting work. And so the work that we did at the time, you know, from 2004 to 2012 was really exciting of its time. And, you know, one door closes and you move on. And I took a break from doing really kind of front-facing HIV work for a time. Um, but then went on to POS UK and then set up the National Peer Mentoring Programme there. And then kind of got involved in doing the other work in the community because, you know, you know as we'll talk about, it just was work that needed to be done. You yeah. know, and and it was about being responsive where there was stuff not happening. Mm. And that, I think that's that's something that I think I always sort of looked up to you for is that you were willing to step up and say something. You were you were so brave and so honest and mm. passionate. There was a passion about you that I really loved, and you know, I, I am really honoured that I worked with you. So, um, <clears throat> so let's put in our theme for the episode. Yeah. This episode's theme is. The world loves a stereotype, mm-hmm. which I thought uh, was quite good. It's very good, but yeah. it's like, how long is a piece of string? I know. It is a very difficult one to, to talk about, but I think, you know, we do have a subject sort of framework that we can stick to. And I think one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk about it is because one of the things that I come across time and time again through the work that I do is that. People put people in boxes constantly and they can't help it. Society makes you even think, oh, I can't even think outside that box, right. you know? And I think that's where, like, what we've just said about the work that you're doing is you decided to step out from the shadow and say, actually, do you know what? This is not on. It is time to stop this and to start, like, moving things forward and and change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, like, it's... I think there's a real rumble of change at the moment. We've mm-hmm. got a lot of people out there who you know, particularly like in the work I do in in reproductive health, you know, there's a lot of movement around um, discussions around, uh, you know, uh, the the sexual health movement and uh, things like that. And I think, you know, from the work you're doing. um, I think, yeah, 
I mean, there's lots of different conversations going on at the moment. Yes, I mean, there's lots of things at, happening. You look at the Me Too and the Time's Up and um, stuff that's happening with trans people right now. I think they have the trans debate on Channel 4 this week, which was a car crash. <laughs> They've a got that season crash. going on, haven't they? The gender season. Genderquake. It was a car crash. It was absolutely... I mean, um, Munro Bergdorf was one of the panellists, but she got... They just put crazy people in the audience who were just there to cause trouble um, and weren't contributing to the debate at all. Um, so there's that going on, and then a lot of the work that Mark's doing with Blackout UK mm. um, is starting a different conversation. And I know you've... Well, it's continuing a conversation. But I think it's... You mentioned before another podcast about um, generational work, like talking yeah. to, the, to the kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> about the history and about what it means and that, you know, they should take some of that on board mm. or at least be aware of I mean, where their journey started. I mean, I think it's great that you guys are having this conversation because, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's necessary and it is very now, right? Yeah. I mean, there's this whole... The, door, the floodgates have been kicked open and we're no longer tolerating things that we might have done in the past. Um, so you're right, you know, the Me Too movement, uh, Black Lives Matter, the whole range of conversations that are happening are, are timely and absolutely necessary. And I think people are just feeling braver yeah. and we're no longer going to take it anymore. And, and I think that's really important in all the work that we do. You know, when people often say to me, you know, you're speaking up and I, and I, I you know, I take it to heart when people say they're really proud and I've got that voice. I've, I always just find it really natural to do that. And I call stuff out because it's the right thing to do. So even when we worked together back in the past, you know, I was always about inclusion, diversity, thinking about how we represent difference in everything that we do. Because I have a really strong belief that if we're not, if we're not fixing those of us at the bottom of the rung, mm. so here's a phrase that I've got. If one of us are unhealthy, then we are all unhealthy. And that cuts across society, mm. no matter where you are. That's really good. Re regardless like of ethnicity, of race, of class, of gender. If one of us is unhealthy, then the whole community is unhealthy. So that's always my starting point in what I do. Do you feel that <clears throat> the whole, like, because I know that we've just said about the how there does seem to be a rumbling of change, mm. an opportunity to discuss things now that never was before. Do you think that's been triggered by, you know, certain people in charge of certain countries and certain things that are going on politically that have uh, basically created this oppression that means that people can't stand it anymore? Or do you think it just naturally has happened because of the opportunities that have come? I think it depends on where you sit in the world, right? So for, for some communities, you know, that oppression that has always, always been there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you are, you know, if you're a black person, if you're a woman in particular parts of the world, if you're a gay man in particular parts of the world, if you're disabled... That oppression, that notion of Trump and Brexit, it's, it's nothing new. You're, you're not surprised. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you live that world already. I think the election of Trump, Brexit, the rise of the far right, what that signals for the rest of people is, oh, my goodness, this can happen to anybody. This, this can really impact on me. And that's where we're seeing a swell of other people stand up. So there's always been sexual violence against women. Mm -hmm. There's always been police brutality against black folk. But what we're seeing now is more and more people going, actually, it's that domino effect. Yeah, you know? So when you see the stuff of Trump, yep. you kind of go, oh, my gosh, that isn't just like poor women over there. This is everybody that this impacts mm -hmm. on. Yeah. So if they've got a voice, I've got a voice and I should speak up. 
Well, I think it's also, <clears throat> you know, it's a wake-up call for people that have been quite lethargic about yeah. things. Because I thought that we were further on than we were. And then Brexit and Trump happened. And I'm like, mm. oh, my God. Oh, OK, so I'm here and... But There's has a that huge made you stand up? There. Has that made you the fact that it's shocked? Because I agree, I was the same. It makes me more angry. But has it made I'm you more motivated? Per- yeah, because I'm not a political person. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Ugh, I think that des- I've said this before. The desire to be a politician should stop you from being one. But, <laughs> um, but it, you know, you do get angry about things, and you mm. can't not. I mean, when I whenever I see Donald Trump on television, I'm just like. I do not know yeah. what's going on in the world because I don't watch the news anymore yeah. because Cheeto face is all over it. <laughs> so <laughs> So this podcast is not political. No. No, no, no it's fine. But, but <laughs> it's a comment about God, I thought we were there and we're back here. Yeah. And I think in a way. The great thing about Brexit and the great thing about Donald Trump is that it's made people more activist. Mm. You know, you look at the Women's March, you look Mm. at Black Lives Matter, you look at all of those things, and people that would have never dreamed of it are Mm. like, oh, no, Mm. (laughs) I'm not standing for this. Um, So in a bizarre way, I think it's kind of doing the world a favour. Yeah, no, I I can see that. So... <clears throat> okay, so let's. I'm just trying to steer away from the politics. Fuck. <laughs> well, you can't. But I What's your favourite colour? Yeah. No, let's, let's talk more about your work. Toy I think that's that's really important to me that yeah. we try and sort of really bring out like the stuff that you do. So, um, do you want to give like a brief description of what you're doing right now? Mm. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. So I work on. I mean, apart from my day job, I I work on two big projects yes. that I'm really proud of. So I work on I work and I'm a co-founder of Prepster. Prepster.info. So it was a. Uh, it started out as a digital platform, a website, and me and Will. Where did the idea come from? Well, it was it was Will Nutland who I worked with. You both the lovely the Will. lovely Doctor Will who <laughs> you know you both worked with at THT as well. Yeah. And Will and I have been comrades for God over twenty years. You know we've worked together, and Will as Will does, you know, contacted me one day. Actually, no, I, I rewind. I found an email the other day and I've got the date and it was 2012 and Will had sent me and a few other people an email saying listen guys we need a different response to the work that we're doing around sexual health and gay men in the UK and I think it's quite an easy solution and, and we kind of batted around a few ideas and then about three years later as these things happen he's like you know I want to do this website around prep because there was a lot of conversation happening around prep um, we knew people were buying online. There was lots of misinformation. Can and you just explain what PrEP so is? So PrEP is pre-exposure <laughs> prophylaxis. It's a drug that you can take before sex. It prevents the onward transmission of HIV. Okay. Highly effective. It works if you take it correctly. And it's uh, not <clears throat> currently available? Not currently available on the NHS yep. unless you join the IMPACT trial. Right. Um, and if you go to prepster.info, we've got all of the information there okay. about the PrEP trial and accessing PrEP. And, buying it and is it available anywhere in the world? Yes, it's available in Scotland. Mm-hmm. It's available in Wales. It's available in the US. It's available in France. I think it's available in parts of Australia. Right. Um, so we are behind the curve. We're here. behind. It's yeah. a part. It's available in Kenya, South Africa. So <clears throat> again, we need to fix that. So you know, Will and I got together and we decided we wanted to pull together a website that would one educate people around prep and then agitate for access to PrEP. So 
providing people with the tools. So it was old school grassroots HIV prevention activism that we did. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we've been very lucky that we've been incredibly successful. People have bought into it and we've got a lot of people involved and engaged in PrEP mm -hmm. um, as activists, as PrEP users. So it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we were talking before about enhancing the conversation and doing the conversation different ways but with prep you started that conversation there was nothing really in this country before mm, yeah you launched pepstone no no so, well i mean to be fair i mean what what happened thank you <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Shall we, we could click we could click i think that. we need yeah because that needs something yeah because you know <laughs> you need one girl come as, on yeah well, <laughs> as a uh gay men's hiv outreach worker hmm. the two segments there were guys that haven't got a clue about prep and are mm. really scared about it but there's a huge amount of guys that are on prep now that yeah. wouldn't have been if it wasn't for prepster and you know we have that conversation with every single guy that comes to a test Good. and if and a huge amount of them are on it but a huge amount of them want to be on it yeah. so you know just explaining That's incredible. just yeah. sending them to the website that you and will created that has so much information about it and where to get it and how to get it and how cheap it is and but it's really accessible that. i mean the one thing i found when when you launched prepster like i think it was the way you talked about it was not wasn't scary clinic you know heavy clinical it was real and very human mm. it's very accessible the way you've done it and that's what i think one of the challenges are yeah. around these big sort of health absolutely uh, right. know, conversations but i think that's what we did when we were the dream team yeah. at THC, yeah. you know i was always about um because you'd work with agencies that would try and come up with these massive campaigns mm. and I was always like what about the gay guy who is sat in the Duke of Wellington who's never been for HIV test what about the guy that's living on a farm in Swansea and does not even mm. have a clinic anywhere near him how do we get the same message across to a diverse group of men in one way mm. and and we did it and I think the thing with Prepster is much like the work that we did years ago about PEP. Yeah, it's it's exactly. Like, give them all the information. Give everything that we have, let's give to yeah, yeah. gay men. But it's how to give it in a, in a way that is accessible. In a way that is their language. Yeah. Yes. Well, you see, my starting point for, for all of my work, and you know, I could talk about the other bits, has always been, is that 21-year-old who's just rocked up to London or from Brixton or just gone to a club or just gone on Grinder is what I'm saying going to reach him. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean I have to dumb down what I'm saying or it doesn't have to mean I select my topics carefully, but is it going to meet his needs? Because if it's not going to meet his needs and I failed because the university educated guy who's in his late 30s, early 40s, yes, he has a need. Yes, he needs the information but he has a bit more agency and he's able to access that. That young guy who's kind of lost navigating the scene, navigating the community, isn't going to be as successful to get, to get that. So I think whenever we measure our work, whenever, actually, I can't speak for anybody else, whenever, whenever I measure my work, it's always going to be, can it reach the needs of that young guy who has, and that becomes my, and that comes from my own experience. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, I must, 
you know, I must think that, you know, the way that you've done this, it's very much around sort of the empathy that you have because of the your own experiences and the people that you've met and yeah. the communities that you've talked to. You know, this hasn't just been like on the off the top of your head. Mm-mm. This is totally about your life and what 25 you've been years through. in the business. Yeah. <laughs> 25 years. Yeah, I think in the, the other thing is that um, probably why me and Mark got on so well is that neither of us are academic. Yeah, we, we do. Go, I didn't go to university. No, um, and so although we worked with a lot of academics and we worked with research agencies, I think we both came from the place of like. How do you get this across to that guy sat yeah, down yeah, yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two working class. How are they going to read this? Because we need to somehow turn very complicated medical information into something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, all of us work in health, right? Mm-hmm. All of us, and we all work at some level with vulnerable people and marginalised people within that vulnerability. And therefore, whatever we do, you know, Vixen, your reproductive health, you know, the work that you do with your testing, the work that I kind of do across a number of different areas, we're always thinking of those people who are really vulnerable. And Mm. we need to make sure that what we do is really simple and is easy and accessible, but also effective for them, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think when I'm um, testing people in in saunas, bars, fetish shops, wherever, I'll do it anywhere. Um... (laughs) The testing, that but is. But you, you know, what we what we offer now is the rapid HRV test, but we also offer a full sexual health screen mm. in as many venues as possible. And you get like 10 to 15 minutes with someone and you can really break everything down for them because there's so much new information around HRV. And it's all good information. Mm. It's, it's the first time I've worked in HRV where you've got good stuff to tell people. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. You've got the undetectable so thing. What's the undetectable thing? What's the undetectable? I thing? don't mean to say. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, so someone who is is positive and on medication and taking that medication every day, um, the viral load goes down to what we call undetectable, which means that they physically cannot pass on HIV. Maybe which t- is... hold on, hold on, because I'm just backtracking here, talking about accessible information. <clears throat> what if people don't know what a viral load is? The viral load is the. Yes. Level of virus in your body. Level of virus in your blood. In your body. Yeah. Um, so just for people to get that in their yeah. heads is insane because for thirty years we've been telling them something very, very mm. different. Mm. Um, but also the fact that now HIV pos- positive people on medication cannot pass it on. That's insane. Mm. <laughs> when did we thought we? When did we think we'd get yeah. to that? And then there's prep. And then there's the access to testing, which is more than ever before. And it's a different time. It's a different time, and it's a great time, but also to have that 10, 15 minutes with somebody and be able to explain it as clearly as possible. The amount of times I get the reaction, I had no idea that things had changed so much. Mm. Now, from guys that probably haven't had to test for five years, so they will come to my little table... And roll their sleeve up. I'll be like, I'm not going to get a needle. I'm going to prick your finger. And and they're like, when am I going to get the result? And I'm like, now? (laughs) Well, you don't post it to me. I'm going to post it to you. Who posts? (laughs) I'm not British cast. Um, But that level of understanding, but also the fact that there's so much good Mm. stuff to tell people now. Um, And I think the work you're doing around prep is outstanding but also you've 
used every possible channel as well. So you've really embraced social media because you have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did a Facebook Live this week. We've done three. We've done three now. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did a uh, Spanish one. We did a uh, one for men who have sex with men. We did a Spanish one, and then this week we did a really exciting one, which was prep on women. So that's a yeah. new kind of frontier that we're really pushing out to drive forward the conversation um, around women and prep. But you know, again, not just women and prep, but thinking about women and sexual health and trying to change a conversation there a bit. You know, so about women. Taking, be not taking, but being in control, and that's what prep is all about. So I, I'm kind of reframing my thinking around women and, and sexual health and prevention work, you know. Um, and I th- but I also recognise that I'm might be the person to project manage that. I'm not the pro- person to lead that conversation, you know, because right. I'm a man. No. So I, and, I, and I accept. That. I mean, so yeah. I'm the also, good thing was there were four women on that panel on the. Oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. I, I kind of like, I'm kind of like you know the. It's the like four like, white people talking about BME issues. Well, yeah, yeah, and I'm really good, as you guys okay. know. I'm really good at assembling the team. Of yeah, people, yeah, yeah. And that's you kind of what I want to do next is, is bring together a group of women to lead that work on on prep and prevention for women. You know, so uh, yeah, exciting times. So <clears throat> let me bring it back to the theme and with. The work that you're doing, Mark. One of the questions I had, I mean, it kind of, you know, what you've just touched on, really, is, is obviously the the groups that you're talking to, mm. as you said before, like you know, are vulnerable or are sort of, you know, stigmatized. Um, what kind of challenges have you faced in terms of like people stereotyping or putting you in that box or the work that you're doing? You know, um, in in the talks that you've been having over the last couple of years, mm. have you found the conversation has been difficult to have or are people open to it? Are people just immediately thinking, oh, uh, that would be air freshener. I was going to say, uh, that, I thought it was Philip. <laughs> jumped out my skin. Philip farted. I know. <laughs> it smells like lavender. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the conversation's so So, I just, I just want to, because, um, like, you know, the... The discussion that we were having around stereotypes is that people put people in boxes before even thinking. Yeah. And that's to do with society and the way that the society thinks and the way that they think they should think. Mm. And do you have you found in the work that you've done mm-hmm. that when you start having that conversation, have you found it very challenging or have you found it that people are, are now, you know, easier to talk to than they were? <coughs> or? Well, it depends on... It depends on... Because when you... I, mean, I think it's interesting, you know, your, your subject is, is stereotypes. And I think it depends on which ones you're talking about and right. which community you're talking about. And because of the work that I do and because of the man that I am, that intersects across different areas. So I could be, because, you know, I'm black and I'm gay and I'm HIV positive and I'm all of these different things and I occupy all of these different worlds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are we talking about stereotypes and stigma I face around living with HIV? Is it about being a black man in the world? Is it about being a gay man? Is it being a black gay man? So... That intersection of my life and the life of people around me is really uncom- it's really complicated to unpick. I think that I'm incredibly privileged in the sense that I am um, an activist and I'm a leader and I'm a speaker. So when I go into spaces and I talk about any of those three topics, people have turned up to hear me talk. Right. Just what okay. I'm saying. Yeah. So when you buy a ticket to go and see, you know, Beyonce or Madonna or whoever, you know, she sings her hits and all the rest of it, you're there to do it. If she doesn't, you're like, well, what the fuck? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I acknowledge there's a certain part of me that is speaking to, singing to the choir. Right. I think, mm. you know. 
However, there are occasion where I've been pulled up short, you know, and I've had to rethink. So I did a campaign recently for GMFA, um, Me, Him, Us. Amazing. Which was specifically targeting black gay men around testing. Um, beautiful campaign, went out over a number of spaces and um, it went into a few websites, uh, you know, online, you know, some commentary. Yeah. Um, deeply homophobic on one level or deeply racist on another. And that really shocked me because I thought, shit, we're in 2018. I didn't think these things happened. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at is that, is that, is that stereotyping still happening? Yeah, I mean... Because we're very, like, like, you know, like Philip said before, like we're used to, we're, we're living in kind of our little like sexual health bubble where we're like, what, you didn't know this? Yeah. You know, and, and I just wondered through the work that you're doing on both sides, if you are still coming up against that stereotyping and people are instantly putting you in. I mean, I, the, thing, the thing is, I don't, I don't necessarily, on a personal level, I don't necessarily come up against it, but I see the world that I occupy and the world that I live in. Yeah. And I see what happens around stereotyping, which I think is, to be honest with you, I think it's a really nice word, you know, to use. Um, but I see the impact on looking at people regardless of who they are or, or just based on what they look like or how they present. Mm-hmm. Um, that systems, people oppress them, put violence on them as a result of that. Okay. So I don't personally have to experience it, but I know the world around me puts it out there. So my, my role as an activist is to call those things out is to make sure that people's voices are heard, that we're, they're aware of what's happening. So, yeah, there are stereotypes out there about black men, there are stereotypes out there about people living with HIV, you know, gay men, all the rest of it. But what I'm concerned about is the impact that having those stereotypes have on people's lives, like really have. Like, yeah. Real life, you can use your life type of impact. Yeah. Right? I, and, and that's where I think sort of I was... I was keen to kind of understand from your point of view and do you feel like you, is there sort of part of you that feels you need to keep in touch with, if you're saying that you you don't actually, you know, receive that yourself, do you feel there's part of you that needs to constantly sort of be in touch with people who do experience that or are exposed to that so you keep that in your head? Yeah, I mean, because it's a bit of a case of, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Right. You know, it's only because of the fact that I was born in London at a particular mm-hmm. time to particular parents who brought yeah. me up in a certain way, you know, kept me particularly safe or gave me uh, access to certain things why I'm able to navigate, <clears throat> excuse me, the world in a particular way. Mm. But I'm also conscious that the stuff that happens to people that are next to me. So if I think about, so okay, so we've got this whole issue with knife crime or... Um, Report came out today about, you know, Brexit has, that we've seen an increase of racism in the UK as a result of Brexit. It's all over the news today. And whilst I may think, well, okay, I can, you know, sit down and have a nice Prosecco with Vicks and, and Pip and it doesn't really affect me. Mm. I know that it does impact on me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to call it out just for me. But Although I'm, it's affecting somebody. It's affecting somebody, but I'm also at risk of it affecting me. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So if, if, a, if a black African woman is beaten about the head by her partner because he stigmatises her HIV, that means he's stigmatising all people with HIV, and I'm in that pot. Yeah. So whilst my boyfriend will really accept me, I don't have a boyfriend, I'm single, I have to shout out <laughs> all the time, 
Um, oh my god, that's like the third podcast you've done with him. Oh my god. <laughs> I told you, quick sidebar. Oh, he uses every channel he can. I know, the thing is, I don't. Well I don't, and I was told to. Well, so. if you can. I'm single too. <laughs> <laughs> so but, tonight we have two very available gay men here. Yeah, Contact us on <laughs> two bottles in underscore UK. Yeah, do the, uh, go to the P.O. box. P.O. box, yeah. Um, postcard. Was it really say on, on going live? Like, what was that? What Answer the postcard to the usual address. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> to the usual address. But yeah, but, but my point is, is that, you know, everything has a ripple effect. Okay, so Pip, you know, you're mm. a you know, white gay man, a few years younger than me, you know, and in some ways our lives are really different, right? But yeah. if all of a sudden, tomorrow, you know, you got knocked about the head as you were coming out of a pub somewhere, that impacts on me as a gay man. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, if I get stopped by the police because I'm a black man, you know, you might go, oh my God, it's, you know, it's over there. But as a black gay man, you should have some empathy for me. But just as a person, you should have empathy mm. for me. So I think that um, it's, it's, it's complicated and we need to kind of think more and take some time out. But stereotypes are there for a reason. And I think it's important to remember that. Stereotypes don't happen just because we fantasize. They're there to keep up a status quo. They're there to keep women in their place. They're there to beat down gay men they're there to oppress people of color mm. they're there to keep a patriarchy you know so that's why we have them and then you subconsciously take them on board that's the thing society dictates yeah. it so much to you and i and anybody <clears throat> that says no i'm sorry you're lying of course you're lying i can remember when oh i came back to yours after oh, i don't know some Something. work drinks or something <laughs> like that and I grew up in the most Purcell white town just outside Sheffield. Did you say just say Purcell? I love that phrase. Purcell white. Purcell white. One Asian family. One Asian family. No black people. And they didn't stay there. because the crosses kept getting burnt on their lawn. Oh, no. <laughs> I was, I don't know. You and your mum. I was wishing the lighter. No. Um, but I can remember going back to yours and you said, oh, Pip, put some music on. And I think I put on like some Gladys Knight or something like that. Mm. And you looked at me. How do you know <laughs> music like this? Hey, yeah. If you should be putting on the Wurzels. <laughs> <laughs> we just met, yeah. I was like, well, because I have good parents who love Motown. Mm. And, um, and I think growing up in a completely white town... You get intrigued about well, why aren't there any black people here? Like, but and, and then many people would become quite racist. Mm. I wanted to know why. I wanted to educate myself. Um, so I started reading. God bless her, Dr. Maya Angelou, and started listening to proper good music and, mm. and trying to do that. But there were so many people that don't do that. Mm. Um, so that's a great. What you have just said is perfect because I was just going to say something to both of you in that, and I know we mentioned it earlier before we started the podcast was, so you're, you know, the way that you grew up and the way you grew up and what you're saying about your parents sort of giving you the opportunity mm. to feel that you can explore and educate yourself. Well, yeah, because they, their parents, well, my mum's parents were, and my mum's dad believed that there was no music unless it was jazz. Wow. So he would 
You but that's lit- a fairly He would literally thing. go, the Beatles are awful, and he clapped when John Lennon was assassinated. Oh, wow. He was like, if it's not jazz, it's not music. But that's a fairly unique view, and that's yeah. where, like, I, I think one of the things that, you know, that, you know from, from, from the work we've done and everything, is the difference between ignorance and, and, and people who, uh, like, just don't know. Hmm. And yeah, I think this is where stereotyping to me is a really interesting thing. I really like the way that you sort of described it. But one of the things that I find about stereotyping is that there's part of me thinking, judging them, going, how dare you stereotype? How dare you put these people in these boxes? But then I'm thinking, actually, do you know? Do, were you even brought up in an, uh, an area where you but, you but, had this around you to understand it? But we all do. But it's yeah, you see, the thing is, you know what I think is interesting about that conversation, right? Because, you know, as human beings, we're inquisitive by nature. Mm-hmm. We are. I mean, and if you're not, then you're a really piss poor human being. And we right? judge. <laughs> and we judge. So, and I think it's always what I find fascinating is what we're inquisitive about. And then what we other. So, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, we live in the UK, so an overwhelmingly white country, you know, and it's not surprising. There are lots and lots of people that come from all white towns or all white communities and, and never, ever mix with other people of colour mm-hmm. until they come to London, right? And I think that's okay. I mean, that, that's fine. And I've worked with loads of people that have done that. I mean, being in office very often, and not only being like very often the only black person, but very, very often the only Londoner. The only Londoner, yeah. You know, the amount of, no, amount really. of you I worked with yeah, you know, didn't yeah. come from London. Yeah, so then your experiences when you come in, so it's what do you do? Are you open to that learning? Are you open to understanding? Actually, I've moved into, like, let's take gentrification. I've moved into Brixton. Do you know what I mean? And I'm young and I'm white and I'm, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. Am I interested in finding about the history? Am I interested in finding about the people that used to live here? Or, or am I interested... Do in I want to know it's a champagne? Right. Do I want, <laughs> do I want to open the Oaxaca? Do right, I want to run yeah. through the park and pretend that these people don't live here? So what we see happens is that people get erased. So on one hand, I think your grandparents, you know, are genius, are amazing, you know, but I'm black British. I was born here. I was born here in the 70s in the 60s and went to school in the 70s. So I was very often the reverse of you, the only black kid in the school, the only black kid in the class. But I was naturally inquisitive and I want to find out everything about the world because that's more interesting. But I think the conversation that's missing is that people are, you know, especially white folk are really kind of like, like if you say, oh my God, you know, you're white British, it's like, oh my God, are you saying I'm a racist? No, (laughs) I'm saying you have a unique identity. That is you, which is different to me. Mm -hmm. And so you need to explore that and the impact that that has and the privileges that brings onto the world. You know, so you can, and actually I remember that night and I was thinking about coming along this evening and the kind of conversation we might have and the things that have come up. And I realised that when I have you know, friends in my circle, and I've got lots of black friends, I've got lots of white friends, I've got, you know, a mixed palette of friends. That's not me going, I have a lot, you know, people of every shade. But the people I have in my life, we have those things in common. Mm. So I know when Pip comes around, we're going to have a really, really deep conversation about Whitney and Mariah and all of these things, right? Because there's a certain level of you getting it. And those things are important to me. And the older I get, and the more I understand my history... And the more I understand the factors that impact on the world around me and my people around me, the more critical I am of that. And I question it. And I know that that pushes some people away from me because I know that it means they have to stop and they have to question themselves. Mm. It means, oh shit, what does that mean about me? 
But then <laughs> I think the the key thing from this, because like, you know, I, I I'm a British white woman. I couldn't be more safe if I tried. Yeah. Like I really couldn't. You know, and the the upbringing I've had has been limited exposure. But like you say, you do have like an inquisitive side of you. But there's a difference between accepting that there are other cultures and other communities and other people and other things and other worlds and other, you know, uh, things. But then there are people who are so closed off because they don't even want to expose, be exposed to that. They don't want yeah. to know about it. It's I, I don't want to call them the Daily Mail crew, but I'm gonna call them. Oh the Daily Mail crew. God! Down at the bottom. I know. I'm sorry. Oh. I did. I went there. But do you know what I mean? Like, there's just there's, and this is what I find no, very I think, challenging. Then you say, oh, I've heard it say you are a woman, so you have that shit to deal with. <laughs> I'm gay, so I have that shit to deal with, like. You know, it's only the white man that really, seemingly, doesn't yeah. have anything to do with, which of course they do, but, you know. But that's where I, I worry that, with you know, especially picking up with what you just said, Mark, about this report that's come out about Brexit, you know, the increase around something that we thought was decreasing. You know, we thought racism mm. was we see the thing like, every see... generation. You're like, oh, they're gonna get it. They're you know, they're gonna understand that there's other cultures because everybody's you know <laughs> mixing more. And it everybody's... gets better. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. I, I think that. But you see, that's the is thing. that worrying that stereotyping is going to increase? I is that think, gonna happen? I, I, you know, we, we we're human beings, right? And that's the thing. Let's go back to that thing that as humans we're going to be suspicious and we're going to be cautious and we're going to have our prejudices that's what we do because we don't recognize that ultimately we are the same you know when you break down the dna yeah we are exactly the same, right? we all love whitney but yeah, well there is that well wow. some more than others but, <laughs> but, 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 but my ultimate point is is that is that in spite of all of that you know we have self-interest we have community interest so your Daily Mail reader, your Brexit voter, your Trump voter, you know, all, or even those on the other side of the spectrum are voting for self-interest. They're not thinking about a community wider than that. So, and just to kind of, you know, to kind of look at it more macro, just bigger for a minute. If you look at the rise of the far right, Putin, all of these things that are kind of going on, it's in, it, it, we know that ultimately it's in response to protecting whiteness. As uncomfortable as that is, it's about this notion that we are under threat. The migrants are coming. You know, we, we are, if you look at the US, in a few years, we'll be the smallest population. In England, we'll be the smallest population. And that's what's the driver of all of this insidious kind of voting. So, and kind of movement. So whilst I think on a micro level, individuals, we're moving forward. We need, we are moving forward. But as a society, people are shit scared. And how, yeah. how do we, like, because I know that you have done a couple of, you know, projects with young people, yeah. uh, especially with the work that you're doing. And, like, do you, I know, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't access young people, so I don't know because I don't know what they're talking about. But I, I just worry for the younger generations that, you know, you have so much optimism and hope that they're going to come through and sort it all out and they're going to be the ones who are going to be open and... <laughs> welcoming think, and like are yeah. they scared are they are they going down that whole like i think stereotyping route yeah i think the thing is that and i said it before like when shit gets crazy 
the educated, the activist comes up trumps. Yeah. Turn no, turn well done. Look at you, well done. Clever, smart. However far right the right goes, the left will be more educated, more passionate, and will not be able to solve everything, but they will be able to empower other people to be as passionate as they are about what's going on. And I think the young people that I work with and the young gay men that I test are very passionate mm. and are very angry and don't understand why prep isn't available. Yeah, yeah. And but are they and so your young an people activism in, in there and they are doing something about it. Um because they are joining Prepster and they are, you know, volunteering for me and going out there and spreading the message. So are the are the young people that you work with, and this is what I'm really interested in because the work that I do, obviously, you know, my service with the fact that we offer abortion care, people come into our service and they don't necessarily know about it until mm. they have to access it, you know. And, and I think, you know, it is kind of the same with, with sort of the whole sexual health uh, sector. Um, with the young people that you're sort of like have with your volunteers, you're saying that they're angry and they're passionate and all that kind of stuff. But what are their friends like? Like, what are their friends doing? I think, I mean, because we do a lot of work on the gay scene. <coughs> Excuse so me. Even if it's just going around Soho handing out condoms. But we do get a lot of young gay men that are really interested in what we're doing, really grateful about what we're doing. And you don't, do get that appreciation. Don't expect That's expect. They yeah. don't expect us to be doing what we're doing. They're mm. like, mm. is this free? Yeah. Um, especially a lot of guys where English isn't their first, first language. language. Yeah, yeah. They're like, is this free? Yeah. Can I just I, do I... this? And they're amazed. And because they're so amazed, they want to do something about it. So mm. they will say, how do I volunteer? That's renewed my faith in the world. So... <laughs> I mean, I think that's where... I see, and I think, you know, because I think that's where our, our work lies in you know going forward you know I mean, one of the things i didn't talk about is you know the work that i do with black gay men and blackout and, yeah. and, and <coughs> why we did that Excuse me. um you know it's a website you know um which we set up specifically to meet the needs of black gay men um but what we what we know is that you know if we look at what's going on across london is that men whose english isn't their first language who are not white um they're disproportionately affected by by HIV still. You know, we see numbers still going up there. Men who are that kind of from that demographic maybe selling sex or not understanding testing. So when you say, you know, somebody comes up to you and goes, Oh my god, is this for free? They yeah. come from places where it isn't. You know, they yeah. don't understand sexual health, they're not being educated in the same way. So I think in lots of ways that's our next challenge is to continuously meet the needs of those it's always as has been, of those who are most marginalised and most vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Well, well do you know what? We're uh, we're pretty much... Oh, always... no. Wait, there's one more thing we need to talk about. Oh, wait, wait. Okay. I, yeah, I think apparently I need a drink for I this. know, yeah. I'm like, see? I told, Mark, what did I say about so, him and Prosecco? I told you that he never fills the um, glass up. Actually, I don't want a big one. I can eat too many. So, every podcast we talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Right. And I want to have a conversation with Mark Thompson about <laughs> the fact that I don't watch it. You don't watch it, but that's two guests in a row. When it, it started, you did watch it. Mm. 
So I think I might have turned you on to it, I, actually. You did. I think I might have done You did. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I think, seasons one and two were on E4. They like were indeed, yeah. And then it disappeared for ages. Yeah. Because we didn't have the joys of, like, you know. Straight. YouTube and all. Dial-up mode. The YouTube. Dial-up. <laughs> Dial-up. <laughs> Buffering. Yeah. Buffering. Um, and you've not watched it since. Oh, you dipped into it. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested as to why you don't watch it. Because I'm busy. I was going to say, he's a very important <laughs> person. No, 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 I know well, he that's not... He hasn't got time for RuPaul. He, he, know, he, he knows that's, that's not true. true. We he have no life. We watch it like, religiously. That's what I tell. That's what I tell my fans. Well, actually, I'll, I'll tell you a really funny story before we before we know go into that. Is that I was out recently, um, and I met a friend of mine who I've known for many many years, and I love a lot. And um, he started saying to me, um, "You know, did you watch the latest season of RuPaul's Drag Race?" And I said, "Actually, babe, I don't watch it." And he said to me, "Your work is shit." <laughs> Everything you do, Prepster, Blackout, it means nothing to me or to anybody in this community. <laughs> wow. And I was I was mortified. And I, and I tried to dig myself out. And I said, I watched season one. And he ended it. He goes, you mean nothing to me. Wow. I yeah, it's a cold hard, cold hard. Cold hard, cold hard. I would have been like... No, my brother's... No, I still no, love you. No, my brothers, are, my brothers are stone cold. They're hard, they're hard. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that... I really love RuPaul's Drag Race season one and two. You got me back into it. You told me, you know, season eight, season eight or nine onwards. Oh, was it seven. seven. One of those seven, you said to me to go back and watch. And I really, really tried. And I and I get the concept and I think it's great. Um, it just felt like a lot for me to invest in what was a repeat of people doing the same thing every single week. I love the production values. I have friends that come around to my house and make me watch that bald-headed one do the mad kind of thing on the floor. And I'm just like, girl, <clears throat> seen it, done it. Um, Bought the T-shirt. Yeah, yeah you know, before. isn't it like Regina King being like, you know, an abused black woman somewhere that I can watch on Netflix? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I, 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 always, right? So um, I might give it another go because Vix has given me the biggest side eye. She's given me the biggest side eye since like <laughs> 2009 when I agreed with no, the campaign. The most recent episode, um, there's been there's been one particular. Right, I have not watched Thursdays. Is this about Thursday? Okay, but it is, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. Okay, good, because I will kill you. So, there's been one particular queen who uh, (laughs) is a black gay man, and he got taken to a... He got... Phil Farrell again. That's a lavender (laughs) foil. He got... (laughs) He got taken to one side by another um, black contestant um, because... The rest of the queens have kind of turned against him. Um, oh, I know totally who you're talking about now. But and the guy that took him to one side said, "Stop being such an angry black woman, because you're being an angry black woman." And he said, "Oh, I've never been told that before." And he was like. I don't even know what that means. Well, there's a stereotype to the show on. Exactly, but I mean, oh, I'm watching now. See, no, I'm not. I'm nah. What are your thoughts on that? 
Like, is that like... Because I know that you're very active on Facebook and social media. I am. You sometimes get called out for being, like, outspoken and, like, you know. Yeah. Whereas I always think it's something that people need to hear and it's not coming from a voice that people feel comfortable with sometimes. How do you deal with that kind of... Mm. You know, that's a really, really good question. The angry black person. Do you know what? I remember there's a couple of things, right? My one, my 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 oldest, and my dearest, and my closest friend called me out a few years ago, um, oh, and that was really an uncomfortable conversation to have. Um, who is that person? I'm not. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not he, know, he, know, he knows who he is. Do I know him? Most people know who he is because he's my <laughs> oldest and my dearest friend. Oh, yeah. um, but it was an interesting one because it made me stop and investigate what I was saying mm-hmm. and why I was saying it. Because at the time, you know, I was very angry about police brutality and what was happening to, to lots of people, so especially to black men. Um, but I was able to back up what I was saying. And I never put anything out on social media that I'm not able to evidence. Yeah. I'm not able to show receipts for. So, I, you know, it's not random. I don't sit and go, oh, I'm just crazy. I put stuff out there. So if It's you can... not two balls in. No, 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 no. It's not two balls. No. So, so if somebody comes back to me and says to me, but, and like I say, well, here's the receipts. Why don't we have a conversation? Let's dig a little bit deeper about it. And I don't necessarily think that I might have spoken. I think I'm speaking out. That is yeah. quite simple. I'm just speaking out. That's what I'm doing. I'm just saying stuff. And I just come from a, you know, a really strong lineage of my family, of people. Your amazing mother. My amazing mum, who just says, you know, speak your mind, you know. And if I don't like it, I'll just usually just punch you in the throat and step over you and carry on walking. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mess with Bob Thompson, everybody. That's the final thought. I think 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 Vix has seen me do that. I've never never punched anybody in the My next to where it's 10 years old. Don't mess. You do not mess. No, do not mess with Bob Thompson. So, you know, you work together. No, but I think I think there is a real opportunity at the moment for, you know, for change. And I think, you know, I know we said it earlier, but I am so incredibly proud that I do know someone who is so brave to stand out like you're doing. So, oh, baby. so. And um, to start the conversation on prep, um, has changed Girl. my working life and changed the lives of a huge amount of women in yeah. this country. So. Thank you so much for coming on. And as usual, you can follow us on all the usual social media channels. And uh, yeah, oh, what are your social media channels? Oh, you can follow me on Insta. um, I think it's Pappy69. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you laughing? That's my porn name. Grinders all over that. Oh my god, I know, right? And my professional Twitter is MarkT underscore O one. And don't follow me on Facebook because you know <laughs> that's yeah. a whole different subject. Yeah, but no, but check out um, you know Blackout is our website and Preps.info. Marvelous. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It has been. It's taken us fourteen episodes to get him. And where are we finally? We finally he got will be him back on next month. <laughs> <laughs> We're not letting him go. <laughs> Thank you guys. But yeah, so. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else that we need to catch up on. I think so. I think we are done. We are done. We've got a Eurovision party to get to. We do. We've got a drinking game to start. I think we should do some instant stories around that this evening. I think probably it's going to happen. I think it's going to be good. Right, so uh, we'll leave you guys to it and we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Cheers.